I felt that if I were to start something on my own, it would make me question so many things and kind of make me. I mean, it sounds a bit strange, but like make me feel alive in a different way. Um, therefore, the motivation came from a space of saying that I wanted to start something. uh because i wanted to kind of go back to the drawing board uh you know leave all the inhibitions or you know all all the training that has gone into you after working for you know a decade in the corporate world um and uh, it, it was secondary as to what uh, we wanted to start up i wanted to go back start something up and uh, kind of feel alive again hi welcome to startup fridays a weekly conversation with entrepreneurs vc investors and other folks who are doing significant work in India's startup ecosystem. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. I'm Hari Arakli and our guest today is Shruti Kapoor, co-founder and CEO of Wingman. Wingman offers an AI product to help sales people do better on the fly among other things. Previously, Shruti worked at Payoneer, an American payments technology company, where she was part of the founding team and helped establish the company's India operations. She has a BSc in Life Sciences from National University of Singapore and we'll definitely ask about the switch from life sciences to uh, software and AI. And she has an MBA from uh, the Indian Institute of Management, Ahmedabad. Uh, Shruti, fantastic to have you here with us this morning. Uh, welcome. Thanks, Hari. Great to be here. Excellent. Uh, I know you are, uh, you're no stranger to these kind of conversations. You've done podcasts and so on. uh for people who are not familiar with uh, wingman uh tell us a bit about uh, uh the journey that brought you there how you started the company and we'll go from there sure um so you know i you'd mentioned that i worked previously at pioneer and that was kind of my first brush with um you know b2b sales um and one of the things that i realized uh, through that uh, journey was that you know it's easy in sales to know how you're doing uh, right it's easy to know whether you're doing well you're not doing well because the numbers are very black and white but it's really hard to know why you're doing well or why you're not doing well uh, and that was kind of uh, what my insight was uh, during that period i had like you know a fantastic team i had some folks who were doing really well i had uh, someone who was putting a lot of effort but not seeing the results uh and i thought about you know how do i dive deeper into it and i realized that the secret really was in understanding how the interactions between the customer was going uh, and uh, you know the customer and the seller were happening and uh, that's kind of how i started thinking about uh, you know looking at technology to one understand the trends across those interactions right like maybe somebody is doing something wrong um consistently and it could be something as simple as maybe not introducing themselves or not building rapport at the start of the conversation um so that's that's kind of how i started thinking about the business and uh, yeah it was uh, it was quite a switch it took me some time to you know take the plunge and tell us also briefly about how you and uh, murli and shrikar got together yeah so murli and shrikar who are my two co-founders uh, you know on this journey um we got together through a common friend so this friend was uh, you know murli's close friend from his days at iit madras and uh, my close friend from my days at uh, you know ima uh, and when uh, you know so murli also you know parallelly at the same point in time was thinking about starting up on his own uh, he had you know spent a year traveling the world uh, and moving back to india uh, with the intention of starting up and at that point you know our friend connected us saying i know both of you want to start up uh why don't you both uh, kind of start talking about this together 
Uh, and, you know, Shrikar and Murli, of course, had known each other ever since their first jobs and trilogy uh, back in 2005. Uh, and then, you know, they were together again in the Bay Area at Google. Uh, and so through that journey, uh, you know, the three of us got together. So tell us a bit about uh, what the first version of the Wingman product was like. What did it do? Uh, and then maybe we can get into what it has evolved into and so on. Sure. So, um, you know, the first version was very simple. I think it was something we hacked together in less than a week. Uh, and it was really, uh, to you know, as a proof of concept of saying that, listen, people record calls, but, uh, you know, it's very hard to actually make sense of it uh, unless you're able to search through the call, jump to relevant parts, etc. So what we did was um, so Murli coded up like a mobile app which allowed us to call anybody and uh, record that call and have the transcript and, you know, kind of automatically annotate parts of that transcript so that you knew, okay, this is where Murli is asking questions. This is where, you know, Shruti is talking about something. Uh, and that was it, right? So that was kind of V1 of the app, which was just very simply to demonstrate the fact that uh, it's so much easier to navigate through, uh, you know, written text than to navigate through just a video or a audio. Okay, uh, so give us a sense of what uh, Wingman, the product, as well as the company has evolved into today. Absolutely. So I think uh, it's it's gone through multiple iterations, right? So the underlying theme has always been to help salespeople understand uh, the why, uh, right? Or uh, the why behind like, you know, uh, the performance is good or the performance is bad and what do I do to get better, uh, right? Um, so it started off, like I said, as a very basic uh, version to allow people to just uh, go back, reflect on their own mistakes by looking at their recordings and uh, look at their peers' recordings as well. Um, but today what it does is it's a full platform to provide actionable intelligence uh, to salespeople, to sales managers, uh, VPs and CROs. Uh, and, you know, that intelligence comes in like, you know, different types of things. So one is just telling people, hey, this is what you should be doing on the call. So as the person is talking, it will give them uh, nudges on saying, hey, maybe you should, you know, talk slower. Maybe you've been speaking for too long. Or maybe this is how you should handle the pricing discussion that you're having. Um, but it's also about telling uh, the VP of sales or the manager that, hey, you know, these are some of the deals that we think might be at risk because, you know, maybe nobody's, you know, spoken to this company in a while. And the person we are speaking to is not the decision maker. All right. So like a variety of those things. Um, so essentially, it's today bringing in all of the intelligence across the different customer interactions, um, you know, not just calls, but also emails and marrying that with outcome data to help understand what uh, really needs to be done uh, to get better. Right. And that better could be at the level of a conversation that better could be at the level of saving a deal. Um, or that better could even be at the level of uh, onboarding new sales reps much faster. For a salesperson on the field, uh, give us a couple of uh, specific examples how, uh, I know from previous uh, brief conversations with you, there is a sales coaching bot. So tell us about how uh, in practice, when someone's in a conversation, it might make a difference to them. What kind of things can it uh, equip them with? Sure. So I think um, one, um, you know, like one kind of uh, instance that we are all familiar with is, you know, receiving sales calls, right? And very often those sales calls are like, you know, somebody trying to sell us a loan or a credit card. 
uh, right? And now what happens in those sales conversations is that the salesperson, you know, uh, gets on the call and says, hey, you know, say I'm calling from HDFC Bank, would you be interested in this particular credit card? Um, and then the conversation basically, uh, you know, internally that you're having in your head is, listen, I already have this other card from say ICICI Bank. Uh, I don't think I need another card, right? But what would help you make that decision is if the person could tell you that, listen, my card has these three advantages compared to the card that you have, right? All the salespeople can tell you like, you know, the five great things about their product, but they can't really tell you, you know, how in comparison with the one thing that you are considering how that is better. And that problem has become just much worse today, right? Because there's so much competition and choice in every market, right? Like if you think about, you know, the credit card example in India, there are probably like 50 credit cards, right? Uh, and if you were to expect the salesperson to remember the comparison between their credit card and each of those, then that's like too much information for them. Uh, so what the platform instead can do is, you know, if it hears that you mention a specific name of a competitor, it's going to tell the salesperson automatically, it's going to like, you know, show a little pop up on their screen saying, hey, these are the three talking points about how we are better than this uh, other product. All right. So there are many instances like this uh, that uh, bot can help with. The other challenge that a lot of time salespeople face is, and maybe this is not something that we all encounter in a B2C selling context, right? Because we mostly just hang up the phone. Um, but in a uh, B2B context, right, where you are on a video call like this, uh, what will happen is the salesperson is doing a demo of a very complex product, and then they go on a long monologue, all right? And at that point, maybe the buyer just switches off, is no longer paying attention. Um, but what the bot can do is it's, uh, constantly tracking, you know, who's speaking, right? Is that the salesperson? Uh, and it uses AI to detect who the salesperson is, uh, right? And then it's saying, okay, uh, you know, you've been speaking for a really long time and it'll show them a prompt saying, why don't you pause, ask a question? Um, so things like that to help the salesperson uh, during that, um, you know, moment uh, when they're so busy in, in, in the moment having that conversation, um, it's hard for them to remember the best practices that, you know, they've been taught during a training session. Mm. Uh, explain the technology that underpins these capabilities. Give us a sense of what is happening in the background, uh, uh, how much of it's on the cloud, what's happening at the edge. Tell us a bit about that. Sure. I'll, um, you know, I'll kind of do my best uh, on this. Uh, uh, so, uh, there are a few things that uh, are happening, uh, right, as we take in uh, the conversation, right? So the first part of it is actually how do we even record those conversations? Um, so today what we do is we actually record automatically sales conversations that might be happening on Zoom, Google Meets, etc. Uh, and the way we do that is that the bot, uh, you know, is kind of reading through the calendar of the salesperson. It identifies which are the external meetings and then uh, just like a human participant, you know, goes and spins up a machine in the cloud uh, to go and join that meeting, uh, right? Um, and once it joins the meeting, it is able to, uh, you know, basically uh, uh, live stream that audio and video uh, into our analytic system, right? Uh, and at that point, there are a couple of things that need to happen, right? So I have this um, stream going in. Through that stream, I want to identify who are the different participants and who's talking when, uh, right? Because that's an important part of, uh, you know, understanding the behavior, uh, right? Like, you know, what percentage of the time was Hari talking? What percentage of the time was Shruti speaking? Um, and then what we are also doing is we are transcribing that 
real time as it's happening, right? And that is, um, you know, all happening on the cloud, of course. Um, and as we are transcribing it, we are then using that to match it to, um, you know, like a set of cue cards that the company can create, uh, right? So then they are able to say, okay, you know what, if this word gets spoken, then I need to show them this particular prompt, all right? So that is how it uh, it's constantly, uh, you know, in real time doing that processing. Uh, post the real time part, uh, what it's doing is it's also going and tagging these conversations, uh, right, to understand, hey, this was the part where we did the introductions. This was the part where we talked about maybe pricing, um, you know, next steps. Uh, and that helps people kind of go through uh, and, uh, you know, uh, navigate through those calls faster. But the other advantage of automatically tagging all this data is that from a manager's perspective, they're able to get to see dashboards uh, that help them understand the difference in behaviors across their reps. All right. So they're able to see uh, and understand, uh, hey, you know, this rep who's doing really well uh, looks like, you know, uh, what he or she does is that he or she always, um, you know, introduces the company in a certain way and builds, uh, you know, trust. All right. Or maybe they always talk about these case studies that we have. Um, this is not information that they previously had, right? Now they are able to quickly go in and say, okay, this person is doing this best practice in 75% of the call, whereas my other reps are only doing it in 30%. Um, and then uh, the technology there really is, uh, of course, to automatically use NLP uh, to tag these, uh, right? So it's not just based on matching a particular keyword to a particular part of the conversation, but saying, hey, I think this topic is around pricing negotiation. This topic is around, uh, you know, discussing the need of the customer. Uh, and then the third piece that we are doing is we're also mining through, uh, from a tech standpoint, email data uh, to understand who are we having these conversations with. So because the signature can give you a lot of information. So we also use NLP to figure out what is the title of the person and this, this is that, you know, are they the decision maker uh, uh, and uh, stuff like that. Um, so uh, that's kind of the different elements. And then when they come together, um, then, you know, you get uh, other features around uh, basically helping save the deals, getting much better with the deal uh, forecasting itself. Hmm. So would you say the natural progression of some of these things would be to have a software bot itself become the salesperson to begin with at some point? Or are there already instances of early instances of such things happening? So I think we uh, we all uh, have already begun to encounter some of the automated, uh, you know, bot calls, uh, right? Uh, but those are not really intelligent, right? They're not really responsive. And, uh, you know, it's like you hear the call, you know that it's just a recording and you just hang up and you're not even sure what you're supposed to do. Uh, say you were interested in the product. Um, I think uh, the, the way to think about this is a little bit like, you know, B2C in some of these cases leads the way, uh, right? Because the risk is lower, uh, people are more agile in a business to consume a purchase process. Um, and I think that where we have seen that trend move towards is that, uh, you know, in a lot of instances, salespeople have been removed from that process, right? Uh, and it's been replaced with people going and doing like a comparison on, say, an Amazon, uh, right? Uh, but what uh, is going to be different from a business-to-business -business buying process is that in a business buying process, you have multiple stakeholders who all need to 
understand and they might all have different priorities and so just a simple you know looking at a review site is not going to do it um but what is going to happen is that a lot of the buying journey is going to uh, maybe get handled through information uh, i don't know how much of that will be ai but definitely uh, you know people getting better information out there uh, some of that might even be you know automatically generated through gpt3 or something like that right like you could do comparisons across multiple complex products um but eventually you probably still at least you know for the next 5 uh, to 10 years uh, need a person uh, to be the sales person because there is a lot of complexity to navigate in a business to business context uh, so what we see ai do is to help that sales person because the, the environment is complex the product is complex you have multiple competitors and at the same time your buyers are much uh, much better informed uh, right as they are going into that buying process so they're not asking you basic questions like hey you know what can this product do they're asking you complex questions like oh in my particular situation this happens and you know will this solve that um so yeah i think uh, I, i would say ai is going to play an assistant role at least uh, for a little bit more uh, especially in b2b sales yeah i mean uh, just for the sake of little bit of uh, completion and also to Uh, give our uh, listeners uh, at least a layman sense of uh, some of the tech that you're talking uh, tell us briefly about uh, you know the nlp part and uh, and since you mentioned gpt3 i think from open ai just also briefly explain to us uh, what it is and why people are so excited about some of these advances in nlp nlp yeah um sure uh, so i so basically on the gpt3 part right and so Uh, so one part of it is just um, i think from a ai perspective people have been trying to uh, see how you can take like you know natural language and understand it uh, from you know how a human being understands language right like if i can say the same thing in five different ways a human being will still be able to say that you know this means the same right if i say how are you doing today versus how was your day versus you know six other ways of saying the same thing uh, but when you try to look at it from an ai perspective that is a much harder problem uh, right and that's kind of what uh, people have been trying to do which is can we understand can we get machines to understand language the way humans do all uh, right with gpt3 it's interesting uh, uh, where people are trying to get the machines to actually write language all uh, right the way humans would uh and if you think about you know in general like ai uh, the way it works is that you need a lot of data uh, to train the models uh, right and once so the way the training would work is you know literally like a yes no uh, situation right like is this pricing is this a pricing discussion yes no uh, and you would maybe show you know thousands of these uh, sentences to the bot and then over a period of time that ai model begins to understand okay this is pricing or this is not pricing discussion Uh, but what uh, the new models like gpt3 does is they are allowing people to train the models with very little data uh, right and with gpt3 people are actually trying to get uh, the ai platforms to go ahead and write new content uh, right so there have been lots of examples which people have shown that you know you could have your twitter account uh, being handled by the gpt3 uh, based uh, these uh, bots Uh, and they're able to create new content for you right so you just give them a topic and they will try and create content which is not just you know human readable content 
but content that is supposed to sound uh, like how you would have written it so if you give them enough of your previous uh, you know twitter posts then it will try to write in the same tone uh, language etc um and that's uh, i think today a lot of uh, content that we see on websites is already being generated uh, at least 80 90% by gpt3 uh, based uh, models hmm. okay uh, let's uh, talk a little bit more about uh, your own entrepreneurial journey uh, that's also definitely an important mandate at startup fridays um, tell us a bit more about uh, what made you turn to entrepreneurship why did you want to start your own business be your own master yeah i think uh, for me it was kind of uh, simple uh, right I, i felt that if i were to start something on my own it would like uh, you know make me question so many things and kind of make me i mean it sounds a bit strange but like make me feel alive in a different way um and that was kind of my motivation to start uh, this and therefore the motivation came from a space of saying that i wanted to start something uh, because i wanted to kind of go back to the drawing board uh, you know leave all the inhibitions or you know all all the training that has gone into you after working for you know a decade in the corporate world um, and the, it, it was secondary as to what uh, we wanted to start up uh, right and of course we spent a lot of time and energy uh, in thinking about what we wanted to start up but uh, you know uh, the first part of it uh, was really that i wanted to go back start something up and um, kind of feel alive again hmm. what was the plan when you started a bsc in life sciences um so i think yeah the plan when i started a bsc was to go and do a phd uh, i was very fascinated with uh you know doing cancer research or doing some sort of disease uh, research and uh, that's you know i spent a couple of years doing that uh but very quickly i realized that uh, you know it was it was a long uh, and slow process and i i wasn't kind of ready to spend uh, days and nights uh, you know pipetting things into uh, small tubes and waiting for days for the bacteria to grow and to see the results uh so i think yeah, maybe impatience got me out of uh, that field mm. and uh, before wingman were there any attempts that didn't work out in terms of starting a business uh not really i mean i i would say that there were always uh, small things that we were experimenting with uh but you know i'd never kind of taken the plunge into entrepreneurship uh I'd definitely toyed with a few ideas okay uh, you all were at uh, y combinator that a lot of startup folks aspire to uh, how did that uh, come about and uh, since it was i think 2019 uh, did that become a virtual conference or uh, were you able to actually go there yeah thankfully for us it wasn't virtual uh, it was i think uh, the uh, like the last batch that wasn't virtual um uh, and uh, you know it was it was uh, very interesting right so i think as people who had been following the startup ecosystem and had been thinking about entrepreneurship i think y combinator definitely holds you know a special place it's very aspirational um and you know i had never kind of uh, lived in the bay area uh, before that right so it was uh, it was a fantastic experience being there for 3 months kind of uh, you know it was a little bit like uh, you know things that you see on television uh, right um so that was uh, really fascinating but i think the reason why we actually chose to go through that journey and it was of course a kind of a big decision for us right like 
and especially when you're based in India, you have your family here, you know, leaving everything for three months, going there uh, is part of it. And part of it is also, you know, the commitment to the program. Um, for us, it was really that we were very clear that, uh, you know, US was an important market for the technology, uh, right? And therefore, we wanted to kind of go and immerse ourselves and it provided us a good kind of excuse to be there uh, for that period of time, meet people, understand the ecosystem really well. Um, so for us, in that sense, it was a no-brainer. But what surprised us was that even before we went for the program, in fact, as we were preparing for the so the Y Combinator selection process, you know, there's like an online application, you record a video, you submit the form, and then there's also at least what used to be an in-person interview. Um, so even as we were preparing for that in-person interview, you know, you're just kind of going through the very fundamental questions that you would probably get asked about the business, about why you're doing it, why do you think this is something that you should be doing. Um, what we realized was that as we went through as a founding team through those questions, it was really, really useful for us because uh, sometimes you just get so uh, you know hung up in the day to day. You kind of don't get the time to take a step back and you know question the and think about the bigger picture. And it provided us a huge opportunity to do that, and uh, that was very valuable for us. Uh, but of course, as we went into the program, uh, one thing that we realized was um, everybody. Uh, you know, even the biggest companies that you see out there, right? And a lot of them come from Y Combinator. So you kind of get to hear firsthand from their founders, like Airbnb, Stripe, uh, you know, what were what was their journey like? And everybody makes mistakes and everybody goes through like, you know, painful parts of that journey. Um, and it's really great to know and understand that so that when you're kind of going through those troughs, uh, you're much stronger and you, you know, you kind of don't feel that you're out there uh, in the world alone, uh, make, you know, doing something stupid. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of the biggest uh, value that the program brings. Hmm. Uh, I know uh, Wingman is a relatively young company, uh, but maybe in the world of software, uh, not not so much. Uh, looking back uh, as an entrepreneur so far, what have been some of the uh, biggest takeaways and learnings for you building Wingman? Yeah, so I think uh, a very, very important learning for me personally has been that, uh, you know, uh, don't make the mistakes that, uh, you know, others have made, uh, learn from their mistakes. Um, so I, you know, make a lot of effort to make sure that I uh, speak to other people in the ecosystem, understand uh, what they've done wrong, what they've done right, uh, what has worked, what has not. Um, the other part uh, that I think we don't uh, realize very often, right, is that uh, we all value great products a lot, uh, right? And I think culturally, we all feel that that's kind of where the brains are. Uh, but an important lesson through this journey has been that, you know, how you actually position that product, find the buyers for that product uh, is, you know, equally, if not even more important. And especially today, um, I think software is becoming kind of more common, uh, but good uh, sales, marketing, positioning uh, is very, very important to actually make your software stand out and to get it to the uh, right buyers. Mm. Yeah, so in that context, uh, you all are building your company out of uh, India. Uh, in some ways, it's still early days, but given that the US is your biggest market and primary market, uh, have you already established some kind of a base there? Would you want to expand that into the development, product development part as well? Yeah, so I think, uh, uh, 
you know, we would uh, want to uh, definitely establish a base there. And I think that's kind of been part of the plan. Um, and the reason for that definitely is that because it's an important market for us, uh, you know, if you're closer to the market, you're able to get feedback quicker. Um, will that translate into product development? Uh, I would say it's kind of hard to um, uh, say whether that's important for us today. Uh, right? Uh, what we've seen is that uh, today, a lot of, uh, you know, smart engineers and even people with, uh, like, you know, AIML backgrounds uh, are looking to, um, you know, either move back to India from where they were earlier, uh, right? Um, so I think that it's possible to get that talent locally. So that's probably not uh, necessarily a reason, but uh, maybe just to understand the market better and be closer to the customer uh, it makes sense to have a presence uh, in the local markets. Mm. For people who are aspiring to start their first ventures, especially in the tech field, uh, uh, what can you tell them from your experience of uh, the three of you, uh, you, Murli and Shrikar, uh, combined bringing several decades of diverse experience? Uh, what advantages did that bring you? Um, I think the one advantage that it brought us was uh, it, you know, we were all very clear what we didn't want the company to look like. I think after you've worked for, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, in different types of situations, you kind of know how things might unravel, right? Like one of the things that we see uh, some founders uh, do as a mistake is, you know, they're very intense about the business uh, and they expect everybody to be kind of, you know, on the uh, clock uh, 24-7. Uh, but that can really, you know, get people to burn out, not be productive uh, in the long run, right? So there were things that we knew that we didn't kind of want to do. Uh, and we were much more thoughtful, I would say, in how we were creating the company, uh, how we were, uh, you know, who we were hiring, how we were communicating with them. Uh, because even as a small team, uh, we knew that it's really important to create a place where people can come in and do really good work. Uh, versus, uh, you know, just expecting everybody to, uh, you know, join the company and be 24-7 on it with, uh, you know, trying to buy into a mission. Um, so for us, uh, that was one part of it. The second part of it was that we had all worked in uh, different cultural contexts. So I'd worked in uh, Singapore, uh, you know, Murli and Shekhar had worked in different companies in the US, uh, and we had all worked in India as well. And what that meant was that we kind of knew as, uh, you know, how important diversity is, uh, but also how, uh, you know, how there are some things which are common across, uh, you know, just how people think about work. Uh, and therefore, we were very clear that we would go ahead and build a team uh, focusing on some of those fundamentals, right? So whether that was diversity, whether that was giving people the right type of flexibility, whether that was just, you know, making work, uh, the workplace as a respectful place. Um, and I think that was important uh, as we set to build out the company. Um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, since you mentioned uh, diversity, uh, uh, as you know, today there is, uh, at least in the media, there's much more attention. Uh, folks like us wanting to uh, spotlight, highlight work being done by women leaders and so on. Uh, what has been your experience? I mean, would you rather just be looked at as a uh, a tech leader or uh, is there something to the idea of being uh, a woman slash woman tech leader as well? 
you know it's a hard one and i think uh, i am always divided on that uh, right because i feel uh, i would much rather just be looked at uh, looked at as a tech leader uh, right um but i do recognize that there is a huge value to having role models uh, right and i think through my own journey i you know it's it's been like you know i started out my career in investment banking and that's probably you know one of those uh, environments which is very much a man's world right and it was very important for me like while i might not have interacted so much directly but there was like you know a very senior woman in the leadership in the investment banking side and it was really uh, it it gave me kind of a lot of you know hope and gumption that you know yeah there is somebody who's reached that level and it's possible to get there so i think that uh, while uh, you know for the purposes of saying that you know do i do i want to be looked at differently no but i think uh, is there an importance that should be placed on having role models right and that's not just at the level of you know in the media as uh, you know women leaders and all that but even internally through the organization i think it's really important for people to constantly think about diversity at every level because if you don't have role models at each stepping stone then uh, you know uh, people kind of at some point just lose hope mm. so uh, yeah so let's uh, delve into that a little bit more a couple of things in terms of advice that you can give to aspiring young women entrepreneurs uh, what's been the experience maybe you can talk about the tension between your expectations as a founder and your investors expectations uh what can uh, aspiring entrepreneurs do to get uh, really good investors uh, on their cap table yeah i think uh, and this you know kind of this advice probably applies across the board right whether that you're a man or a woman i think there are a couple of things to definitely uh you know give a lot of value to especially at an early stage when you're fundraising uh one is that uh, your investors uh, should believe in you and not um and therefore like you know you want to have the flexibility and the latitude uh, because early on you're going to probably pivot a few times you know your ideas are going to change uh, you know things might not go as per plan um, so you want the investors who are coming in to uh, kind of give you that latitude and not uh, necessarily um, you know constantly be forcing you in one direction all right because if that happens even if you succeed or if you see uh, you know short term success if you are not fully bought into the direction that you are going in and you are doing it because your investors are asking you to uh, it will end very badly for everyone all uh, right uh, i would say that's that's an important part um the second important part and this is uh, you know especially true for uh, you know first time entrepreneurs and early, uh, and early stage investors is um that your early stage investors can actually also um you know help you with more than money like they can provide you some level of mentorship some level of networks um so think about what you think as a founding team is missing and maybe try to see if bringing on you know and that could be you know investors or angel investors or just pure play mentors all right try to complement supplement uh, what is missing in your founding team uh, with uh, the people that you bring on board externally or you mm. so again for uh, for very young companies uh for you what what have what what has been what have been some of the ways in which you could get really good people and retain them you know uh, 
I think looking back, I would say that we were lucky that we started the company when we did. Uh, I think uh, the last year or so has been uh, kind of a bit of a talent war, uh, right, for a lot of companies. Um, for us, uh, one of the things that we realized, right, was somewhat, uh, you know, by chance was that the early people that we hired were all people who uh, had done something on their own, right? Like they'd, they'd been entrepreneurial in their own journey uh, through that uh, process. And what that did was that it really uh, opened up uh, our ability to be frank with them, right? Like when things are not going right or when you need them to work in a very ambiguous environment, uh, it was easy for them to do that because they'd all you know, tried to run their own businesses, failed or succeeded to different levels, but they all knew that ambiguity is part of that early stage journey. Um, and I think that that working through that ambiguity also over a period of time created a lot of combined ownership because they were part of very important decisions that we were making. And I think that has helped, um, you know, retain them, right? So uh, our early employees are all with us today, like, you know, three years in, uh, right? Despite how much uh, everything else has changed in the market and in the journey and the story. So I would say that hiring people who are uh, entrepreneurial, who maybe have taken that risk themselves, uh, really helps because then they're not looking at you for all the answers. And when you're coming up with answers together, it creates a huge buy-in. So as you're transitioning uh, from uh, a company where, like you said, the three of you uh, hacked out the basic proof of concept in a matter of a week to now a company where you have a more sophisticated uh, platform kind of uh, technology. Uh, for you, what have been some of the important uh, learnings going from uh, the founder's uh, kind of mentality to the need for being a CEO of, of a growing business? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a transition that uh doesn't always come naturally uh, right um and i think the uh, the way i would say my role has changed uh, right is that earlier i was doing a lot of things um right so there was a lot of action bias uh, right so i was actually getting on sales calls i was writing blogs um today it's a lot more about still thinking about those things right it's not that i don't think about sales i don't think about marketing anymore uh, but I need to make the transition uh, to have other people be doing it, but maybe just providing them inputs uh, in a manner that is constructive, right? Um, so I think that's kind of the transition because it's a delicate balance between saying that, you know, I have this great idea and therefore this should be done versus saying that, uh, listen, here is an idea, evaluate it just like you evaluate every other idea and see if it makes sense and do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, are some of these things uh, counter to your uh, nature slash personality as a person? I mean, do you need to kind of deliberately think and do some of these things? Uh, I'm just, you know, kind of wondering how this works. Um, for me, no, I would say that it's probably been the, uh, you know, it, it's, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that like I have a personality where I, you know, force people in a particular direction in that sense. But I think, what happens is that over a period of time, some of those things also come with the tag that you carry, right? Um, so just because, you know, you gave an idea versus somebody else gave an idea, uh, right? Uh, the, the team is always going to have a little bit of a bias that this idea is coming from here. 
Uh, and so it's, I would say that you need to consciously, or at least I try to consciously go the other way and say that, you know, put this up for debate, uh, right? Uh, rather than just take it and run with it. If you look back, uh, what is what is your earliest memory of uh, any of the big influences uh, that you feel have had a bearing on your career, even from your childhood? What is that like? You know, I grew up uh, in a really small town uh, in uh, UP, uh, right? And it was uh, it was a place where so my family, uh, everybody's been a doctor, like. My grandfather, his sons, and uh, it was literally like they were probably the only qualified doctors in that town. So, you know, the family had like a big, you know, in some sense, baggage or title or, you know, whatever to carry. Um, and but what at the same time that meant was I saw, uh, you know, I think medical profession, if you're doing it on your own as a private practice is, is as entrepreneurial as it got in those old days. Uh, right. So. Uh, I would say, like, I saw my father uh, as the person who was taking the risks and doing that journey because he set up his clinic from scratch. And then, you know, at some point we decided to move to Lucknow. And that was entirely for our education that he made that switch. Uh, and then he had to go and establish himself again uh, all over, right? And that's hard. Uh, uh, but he did that. And, uh, you know, he he kind of balanced it out by, you know, splitting his time initially, traveling uh, you know, half the week here, half the week there. Uh, and I used to very closely be involved in this clinic. So I would kind of be the person, you know, taking down the appointments and stuff. Uh, so I saw that journey close, uh, you know, very closely. And I learned uh, a lot from that. And he always, you know, um, was a person who had like a big vision about things. Uh, and he was always very eager to learn from other people, right? So he traveled a lot to other countries and he would then always talk about you know what was it that he learned from there what were some of the best practices and then he would try and emulate them into his own practice uh, which wasn't easy because today with technology you know uh, copying things bringing in things is much easier uh, but i think that is something that has really stayed with me okay uh, a few quick questions to uh, wrap up uh, this conversation i mean think of them as rapid fire so basically don't think too much about the answers kind of speak your mind, but in a uh, couple of sentences. Uh, tell us about uh, one piece of advice uh, you would give to an aspiring entrepreneur that you never got. Don't be afraid to ask and uh, don't be shy to learn from other people's mistakes. Okay. Uh, professionally, name one person who's left a deep impression on you and why. You probably talked about your dad, but I mean, if there's another name that you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah so I think Definitely my father. I think if another person uh, is uh, Bill Gates, uh, right? Like I, I always thought that he really opened up my mind into saying what was possible um, and, you know, how much technology could do. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, one product uh, that you love and why? Could be a software product, hardware product, anything? Um, I would say that I really love my Bose headphones. Uh, it's It's been a life changer during the pandemic. It has the best noise cancellation. So, you know, I, I might be having drilling work or a kid screaming in the background, but uh, it cuts all of that out. Okay. Uh, if you like to read uh, one book that you keep returning to or a book that you really like. Um, 
So I think uh, I read this book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, it's, it's a really short book, but uh, it it kind of drills the importance of having purpose and meaning uh, and how that can, you know, literally change uh, your ability to do things. Okay. Uh, you don't seem like a person who would get into a funk easily. Uh, you have too much on your plate anyway. Uh, but if you ever do feel bad, what's your favorite uh, favorite uh, hack to get out of that funk? I would just go on a long walk and have long conversations with myself. Okay. Uh, last question. Uh, one city that you would love to live in? You know, it's it's funny. I've not even visited the city before, but I I would probably like to live in Amsterdam. Uh, I, I'm really fascinated by how environmentally conscious they are uh, and to a lot of uh, things that they are doing, which are not easy, not inexpensive. Um, but yeah, that's, I think, uh, something to aspire for. Okay, excellent. Uh, Shruti, wonderful conversation. Uh, thank you so much for making time for this. I really appreciate it. And uh, we definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Thanks. Thanks so much, Ari. Had fun. So that was uh, Shruti Kapoor, uh, co-founder and CEO at Wingman. Uh, great conversation. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, that's it for this week's Startup Fridays. Wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'll be back next week uh, with another episode, another conversation. Until then, uh, have a great Friday and a wonderful weekend ahead.